The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. As promised, we are returning to our more traditional topics, not only because censorship is becoming pervasive and we want to remain under the radar, but because more and more information is coming out, even from the U.S. government, about our own military's interaction with unknown aerial vehicles. What surprises me the most is people are becoming desensitized about many important topics. In the middle of this so-called pandemic, several reports came out and even mainstream media covered it. This was more than a slow drip disclosure. The result? Most people did not react the way most of us thought they would. And this is why we're bringing tonight's special guest on to discuss the most recent events in exopolitics, what lies ahead, and what would governments say if asked how they would handle an extraterrestrial encounter? You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Today's special guest is Dr. Michael Sala, an internationally recognized scholar in international politics, conflict resolution, and U.S. foreign policy, who has a PhD in government from the University of Queensland, Australia. During his academic career, he was an author and editor of four books focusing on international politics. Dr. Sala is a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the study of the main actors, institutions, and political processes associated with extraterrestrial life. He is the founder of the Exopolitics Institute and the Exopolitics Journal. He is also the author of many books, and his website is exopolitics.org. After four years, I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Sala. Hello, Michael, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Aloha, Mel. Very happy to be back here on Veritas. I'm very happy to have you back, too. And, Michael, we haven't discussed this topic for a while, but many things are happening, especially during, I call it the pandemic. But a lot of information is coming out. Even the mainstream media is covering it more seriously than before. I want to get your reaction to that before we continue. Well, yes, there's definitely been an uptick in uh, public interest and especially major media coverage of the UFO phenomenon because of those uh, Navy pilot reports that have been covered extensively by major media such as the New York Times, Politico, and that seems to be the way in which uh, the deep state operates. When when they want to shift debate or when they want to make something uh, permissible to be debated by mainstream organizations, they have the New York Times or the Washington Post run a major story. And that's what we've seen 
um, in, in 2017, the New York Times ran a story about these um, Navy pilot sightings of, of UFOs, and that made that story really hot. And, and, and that has continued to be something that uh, the other major media have covered. And more recently, we've had uh, people now coming forward talking about briefings in a Congress uh, where congressmen have been briefed about uh, these uh, sightings back in 2004. And again, the New York Times ran another story. And, and again, that was all picked up by other major media. Do you think the deep state, which obviously controls the media, allowed the, can we call it disclosure of this information because they knew people will be distracted with COVID? Or are they preparing to release what Dr. Carol Rosen calls the last card? Yeah, well, that's also something worth considering here, that nothing that the deep state does is done without a hidden agenda. And when we go back to the initial reports uh, back in 2017, where the New York Times discussed these UFO sightings off the coast of San Diego and off the uh, and somewhere um, in the Atlantic, uh, the circumstances were such that it was deemed to be a national security threat. And that was the, that was the way they pitched the story, that this was a national security threat, that these were unknowns, that The, the best Navy uh, intercept aircraft and the radar monitoring devices just weren't up to matching these these uh, technologies. And it was made out that these were technologies that were a threat. And and you have the, the whole advanced aerial threat identification program uh, being uh, released or that information about it was was released and so all of a sudden you know people in the mainstream are, are being told that yes these navy pilots are seeing things that that can't be identified uh, they form a national security threat and that the pentagon back in uh, 2007 formed this uh, investigative unit to to study the threat posed by these things so that they were definitely pitching this whole ufo phenomenon in terms of a threat And that does take us back to what Carol Rosen had to say, that uh, that at the end of a whole series of false flag events would be the alien invasion card. And and I think that's that's really how how uh, that's why I think what the deep state has has developed, that they have created the scenario where they can play that alien invasion card or something very similar. And I've always said that if they were to disclose something, they would start small. They would start saying, oh, we found a microorganism in, you know, on Mars. Or now, recently, NASA, I believe it was Monday, we found water on the moon, which is a, you know, a life-creating uh, uh, material. So do you think they're starting slowly and they're going to start revamping this? And for example, this last weekend in Hawaii, by your neck of the woods, you probably have seen uh, the news about the the strange slice that appeared that some say it was a spent rocket, nothing more than that. Your reaction to that piece of news? Yes, yes, I did see that um, footage of that UFO off Maui, and I it didn't look to me like it was um, anything more than what the mainstream 
were, were saying that. I think one of the astronomers at, at Keck said it was just a disintegrating rocket stage. And, you know, the way it moved, it, it appeared to me to be consistent with that explanation. You know, there, there wasn't any kind of right angle move or, or, or it's stopping or anything. It just seemed to be moving in the trajectory of, of an object or a disintegrating object that, that very high atmosphere, we're talking, you know, whatever, several hundred um, miles in the atmosphere. So, yeah, that's that's how that struck me. Um, but but I know that, you know, when it comes to what the deep state is doing when it comes to UFOs, I think it's kind of, in a way, it's not correct to describe it as disclosure because disclosure is something that you do to kind of inform people. But I don't think what the deep state is doing is to inform people. It's it's more like a magician's trick. It's more like look over here, you know, look over here. There are these UFOs um, that we can't explain that are buzzing around uh, navy ships, and they are a threat, and the pilots uh, don't know what they are, and and it's it's like they're not really trying to inform because you know they they release a video clip which is like I think ten seconds. And they don't really give you the analysis. They don't release the, the high-resolution footage. Uh, they're not giving us the, the information we would need to, to really inform us, which I think would be part of a genuine disclosure. They're just putting out enough to get our attention. So it's more like a magician's trick, uh, you know, to kind of get us to look over here because, you know, they, they are, you know, they're putting on a show. And I think, the deep state is putting on a show here, and yeah, the, the final trick may be this alien invasion card. That's a great point, Michael, because as you know, the magician always he points at one place where he wants the or she, the audience to look at while he's distracting you while he's doing something else to hide the real news. In this case, they're releasing, or whoever's, whomever's releasing this information, they're not taking any questions. Because you and I and the media would be asking questions if they actually release this and they're admitting that this is not ours. The plethora of questions would be falling, you know, day and night. The first question I would ask would be, if you don't know who they are, are we prepared to defend ourselves? Because obviously, if you are in the military, you always have a defensive posture. You can't be saying, oh, come, let's just have some coffee. So if you have a defensive posture, what kind of technology they might have that we might be able to succumb to. Right, yes, the, the military is always going to take that kind of national security approach of like, well, does this constitute a threat? And, you know, they, they, they're going to be very interested in this whole idea of UFOs being a, a, a potential threat. But for those that have done any kind of due diligence on the UFO phenomenon, they know that this has a, a long, long history and that there are units or committees or groups within the military, within the national security complex that does know what these things are and that uh, they aren't as frightened of them as you, you might think just from a purely um, military perspective when this information is presented, you know, like kind of like um, – for the first time, uh, where you might realize that this, that these UFOs are kind of like buzzing your ship or buzzing. If you haven't been briefed and you're a pilot or you're a, a ship captain, you know, it might 
to, to you appear to be a real threat, but for the people who have been briefed, they know, oh, well, you know, this is just one of ours. This is, or they might know, oh, this is one of the friendly extraterrestrial groups that we've made agreements with that, you know, nothing to worry about really. But from a limited perspective, uh, for those that aren't briefed, yeah, you know, you can understand why they would consider it a threat and why you need to set up a top secret Pentagon study group called the Advanced Threat Identification Program that, yeah, from a limited uh, briefing perspective, yeah, that's exactly how they would behave. Just a quick story. Almost 10 years ago, there was a couple here in Tucson that apparently was a, an avid collector. Uh, they were an avid collector of uh, UFO books and newspaper releases and you name it. And they called me. They said, hey, would you like to go to the estate sale and buy it? Because they're ready to pass away. And they said, we want him. We want him. They have they were listeners of our program. And they said, yep, let's have them buy it. So I bought the whole collection. And I've had it in my studio for over 10 years. It is so big that I haven't been able to just curate, if you want to use that term. And I'm moving the studio now. And I started putting things in many, many boxes. And I was just browsing through all the stuff. Books from the 1950s all the way to the 80s. It's incredible how much information is out there from before. And they even talk about, you know, pre-biblical times, uh, pre-Christian. You know, the proof is out there in so many documents. What's your take on the fact that it's 2020 and we still don't know as much as the, let's say, the native tribes around the world, they feel like, you know, we just have no idea why you're so interested. This has been with us for thousands of years. Well, yes, it is a really very sad and, and, and criminal, really, that these advanced technologies have been kept from us for so long, that the truth behind the UFO phenomenon has been kept. And I think there's multiple reasons for, for doing that. Uh, but clearly, it means that... Uh, our economy has not been allowed to go beyond fossil fuels. Uh, our energy dependence is is based on this kind of finite resource that is only found um, underground in certain locations of the planet, and that and that kind of creates this whole dynamic where there are conflicts and wars and you know great profits that are made, and and yet the technologies. Uh, that are used in these uh, UFOs, in these craft belonging to the to the visitors. I mean, they use uh, free energy principles that would, of course, revolutionise the transportation industry overnight, and would would change our planet. Um, you know, because if you change the technology, then you change consciousness, and I think that's one of the big reasons why they don't release these advanced energy technologies, uh, these uh, advanced healing technologies, because uh, the deep state knows that if, you know, it's not just a question of losing the kind of financial benefits uh, that accrue from controlling the fossil fuel industry that can, that come from controlling the pharmaceutical industry, it would also be because uh, you're allowing the consciousness to shift because people are now moving into free energy and they become energy uh uh, independent or their, their health, uh, they're cured of serious illnesses. So they're now free of the, of the health industry. And so the deep state doesn't want that. 
And I believe also, and I hate to say this because he might offend some of my fellow Catholics, but this Pope, this Pope is making some pronunciations that some people wonder. And I remember years ago watching the TV series V, the, the revamping, not the 80s one. You probably watched that too, where the Catholic Church had one concern. They said, if these aliens are here, we're concerned that the population will offer devotion to them instead of us. Is that another threat to the establishment? Definitely. I think that's that's one of the, the, the big threats that the establishment has, is that if the aliens, if the extraterrestrials reveal themselves, that there could be this uh, catastrophic collapse in confidence in public authorities, you know, whether we're talking the military, the the, the government, or we're talking about social institutions, the, the religious uh, community, there'd be this, uh, there'd be this collapse. And I, and I think this is why uh, we, we need to look at the possibility that, you know, when disclosure happens, it, it may not be the way we thought. Uh, I know with Carol Rosen and the whole alien invasion card, uh, I think that's something that has been planned, but I think there, there's a twist here, which is the alien salvation card, that it, it might not be using Project Bluebeam to show these uh, extraterrestrial motherships uh, kind of like flying over cities and attacking us. It might be uh, these aliens that arrive to, to save us from something horrible, whether it's a, a pandemic or whether it's war or whatever whatever is contrived and that major globalist institutions and i would include the vatican along with the united nations along with the world world health organization and of course uh the deep state and institutions or countries that support the globalist agenda such as china that they they could get behind a contrived alien salvation event where the aliens show up and say, hey, we're here, you've got enormous problems, uh, but we're going to help you solve them. Uh, here's some, here's the cure for COVID, uh, and here's um, some truth about uh, the, the the galaxy and, and religion and your creation, and we can help you get closer to God and so forth. And, and, and like in the movie or in the series V, where at the end uh, you actually have the Catholic Church aligning with uh, the visitors, I, I think that's probably what we would have. In, in fact, I think that the, the Catholic Church is very much a part of this deep state agenda and that whatever it is that they're planning to roll out in terms of the truth concerning extraterrestrial life, I think it might be a deception like this alien salvation uh, scenario where the aliens that are presented to us are presented as friendly, good aliens, but, but in fact, they're the ones that made agreements with the secret government decades ago, and they're part of the problem. That's exactly right. And, you know, in our field, there are people, some people who say all aliens are benevolent. Some say that all aliens are malevolent. We don't have 100% proof. I'm in the middle. Just like on planet Earth, I'd think that if this universe is as vast as we think it might be, then we have both. I mean, if you and I were in control here and we had a resource that was lacking in order for the human race to survive and we had the ability to go to another planet to get it, we would for our survival. But for the inhabitants of that planet, 
we would be the invaders. So what tells us that there are, you know, races out there coming here in search for something, whether it's gold or water or something else? Well, I, I go for the kind of fishbowl theory, which is that Earth is like this giant fishbowl and you have all of these galactic visitors coming here to watch and occasionally they kind of like, you know, throw something into the into the tank, you know, or maybe they'll throw a different fish into the tank <laughs> right. or they'll modify one of the fish and, and then they're just kind of like observing us and I, and I think that, you know, for this fishbowl or, you know, if you talk, if you think of the Earth as being kind of like a, a giant simulation that was created by the aliens uh, so that they could learn, that they wouldn't create something that would be uh, totally separate from their reality. Like they wouldn't make it out that, uh, uh, you know, we are you know, so deeply divided and conflictual when the aliens are just so benevolent and just so, um, can, you know, can get on with one another, which is what some people uh, argue. I, th I think it's because the aliens themselves are conflictual and divided by wars and competing power groups and empires and so forth, that we on the planet have had this really violent history because I think our our kind of simulate our planetary simulation was designed to be something that the aliens could look at, that they could study us and maybe they can take something away from it that can help them resolve their galactic conflict. And more and more, the scientific community is coming out with, even a few days ago, Scientific American published an article titled, Do We Live in a Simulation? And they say that the chances are about 50-50. And it makes you wonder. I mean, I remember 15, 20 years ago, I used to play this game called SimCity, where you have to create in a simulated city. If those characters had some consciousness, would they know that I'm the one behind the keyboard giving instructions and creating the city? Isn't that more or less what applies to us, avatars of something else? I, I think we need to look at that very seriously uh, because we, we do know that uh, extraterrestrials have been visiting our planet for hundreds of thousands of years and that civilizations have risen and fallen and there have been many instances where we can look at this history and say, well, you know, wasn't that a kind of like planetary simulation or wasn't that a, a simulated reality created um, by the aliens who wanted to see how we on the surface would deal with the particular scenario um, because our genetics are the same as the genetics of the different alien groups. And so they, they were very interested in, in studying us. Um, and, and I think I think it's quite plausible that this whole planet, uh, that the reality that we live in, is some kind of simulation, and you know we need to kind of consider that very seriously. I remember, actually, I lost count of how many people told me, you know, John Lear, uh, but he didn't tell me, but the, the the late great Bill Cooper, William Cooper, who mentioned that we had a parallel force you know, different space shuttles and different vehicles, and nobody would believe it. All of a sudden, President Trump comes along and says, we have the dawn of the Space Force. I never got to talk to you because this came after we last spoke. What is your take on the space, the United States Space Force? Well, the Space Force is a very important development. You know, one of the things 
that's very interesting. People associate Space Force with uh, with Donald Trump and think it's just his kind of like idiosyncratic uh, solution to you know, problems on the Earth or the problems posed in space. But actually, the, the, the first proposal for a Space Force goes back to the Clinton administration. There was a space commission uh, that was uh, put together by the Secretary of Defense uh, by the CIA director, NASA, NASA administrator, back in uh, the year 2000. And they delivered a report um, in 2000, in January 2001. Um, it was actually, it actually came out in, uh, on January 13, 2001. So Bill Clinton was president. And the proposal called for the creation of a space corps. And the space corps would be, uh, a, a separate military service that would be initially set up within the Department of the Air Force, but eventually would be uh, would become its own separate department of uh, of space. And the justification was that space was becoming a contested environment, uh, that the possibility of a space pearl harbor were very high. And that China was a country that could launch a space pearl harbor. So this is back in 2001. And of course, later, only eight months later, um, in September of 2001, uh, you, you have the 9-11 attacks. And so that proposal for a space core basically got shelved. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, the person who chaired the Space Commission was uh, Donald Rumsfeld. And Don- Donald Rumsfeld were, went on to become the, uh, the, the Secretary of Defense under the, the second Bush, uh, or Bush Jr., George, uh, George W. Bush. He was Secretary of Defense. But one day before uh, 9-11, uh, on September 10, he came out and gave an extraordinary speech where he, he talked about uh, of course, the missing $2.1 trillion. He talked about the incredible waste in the, in the Pentagon bureaucracy. And he, and he actually said that he was, he was declaring war on the Pentagon. Um, and, and that uh, on the, on the Pentagon bureaucracy and that, uh, congressional legislation was being put together, uh, so that, uh, the Pentagon can be reformed and, and that, and included a, in that kind of reforming legislation was the proposal to create a space core. But of course, all that the next day got blown away by 9-11. And so for the next 18 years, uh, we, we, or close to, uh, I think we didn't hear about space core again until 2017. And then of course, in 2018, uh, Donald Trump comes forward with the space force. But I think when we're looking at space force, it's a very important development. It's needed because the deep state is is getting ready uh, for contriving the next the next major war between uh, leading nations, and and the war is going to be in space, and and that's what space force has been designed to prevent. I remember two events that year in two thousand one. I remember May. I think it was May. The Disclosure Project came along. You remember that? And it, it really garnered some traction. 
And then Rumsfeld on the 10th of September, we have $2.3 trillion missing. And supposedly the information that related or the accounting or the financial documents that related to this were in the specific location where a plane supposedly crashed, more like a bomb, if you will, or a missile. But that area was demolished and nothing ever came after that event. But what I guess my, my concern about this is we had all these parallel vehicles in the past. My question is, is this, has the Space Force been around in, confidentially and and more or less like a black project? And finally now, so we can start showing where the money's going to, because I believe that a lot of this, the, the trillions of dollars that we put out there, perhaps, for, I don't even want to go there with the CIA and the drug trafficking and so on, goes into black projects that may include space technology. What is your take on this? Well, there's been a secret space program uh, that was developed uh, by different military services and even the CIA. So the, the CIA, the uh, Air Force, uh, the Navy have all developed secret space programs. As far as the Air Force's secret space program and the uh, CIA's secret space program, uh, the CIA works very closely with the National Reconnaissance Office. So it's really the, the CIA NRO. They have their own space program, and the Air Force had their own space program. Uh, but these were small covert programs uh, that were based on the reverse engineering of uh, uh, acquired extraterrestrial technologies, and these technologies were reverse engineered, so they built uh, a small number of uh, anti-gravity craft, uh, flying triangles, flying saucers, and so forth, and that these could be uh, used for covert operations, but only a small number were ever made, and they were used by special operations forces. So, for example, uh, in Korea, um, I think it was in... in, uh, 2017, 2018, uh, what, what you had was uh, the possibility that uh, Kim Dae, the, the, the currently President Kim, uh, he, Kim Jong-un, that's right, right. Uh, he, that he was going to move forward with a ballistic missile uh, development. And, and so some covert spacecraft were deployed over North Korea, and and some of these space weapons were going to be unleashed, and and I think that contributed to him kind of changing track, and then wanting to work with South Korea, wanting to work with Donald Trump. So I think that quick change in policy by North Korea was caused to a degree by this covert space program uh, owned by the Air Force. Uh, now. What we are seeing with Space Force, however, is, is not a something that's going to be a covert program used for special operations, which is good for kind of like small-scale operations uh, where you don't want the other side to know exactly what you're doing. But when, when we're talking about preventing a, a Space Pearl Harbor, we're talking about a major conventional uh, military operation in space where a country like China uh, you know, puts up hundreds of different types of space vehicles, you know, whether they're autonomous or whether they're manned, and that these can be used for a military strike against the U.S. satellite grid. You know, we, we're, we're going beyond 
a kind of like covert force with a, a kind of limited number of maybe a couple of dozen or so anti-gravity vehicles uh, that you you cannot defend against a, a conventional military strike by a, a, a country like China with the resources to build many hundreds, if not thousands, of space vehicles, manned and unmanned, that can be used in a space pearl harbor. And, and, and that's why the Air Force's secret space program isn't up to the job. You need something like Space Force, which is properly equipped and funded and is able to deploy people and resources in space to defend the, the satellite grid. I remember back, uh, I have the article right here, January 11th, 2007, China launched a ballistic missile from Seichang Space Launch Center. The payload was kinetic, a kinetic kill vehicle that collided with a non-operational Chinese weather satellite. So imagine if they could do that with a ballistic missile. What they could do if they had a low-orbit vehicle that could crash into any of our most crucial satellites. Yes, they definitely have um, the their own uh, reverse-engineered um, craft. Uh, this is something I, I discussed in uh, my most recent book, uh, Rise of the Red Dragon, where I trace out the evolution of China's secret space program. But what happened was that in the 1990s, uh, because China's economy expanded so rapidly, that China finally had the financial resources it needed to start building a, a, a kind of major space navy, um, you're building what would be equivalent of a, a, a kind of a blue a blue water navy, but for but for space operations, and and so China has been putting a lot of resources into that, and and this is this is one of the reasons that. Uh, the, the Chinese need to be kind of like looked at very closely is because they have been so good at being able to infiltrate and also get assistance from the deep state uh, in terms of the blueprints for you know, not only advanced fighter jets or advanced nuclear attack submarines or um, major air, major sh- uh, naval uh, surface ships, but also for spacecraft, aerospace craft, and that the Chinese have a, a really incredible skill in terms of uh, being able to reverse engineer and build from blueprints uh, any craft that was developed by the U.S. So it's like, you know, the U.S. might go through 10, 20 years in developing and, and putting together the blueprint for, say, a, a reverse engineered spacecraft using anti-gravity technology well if, if the chinese get their hands on the blueprints it can it only takes them several years to build the same craft and and so this is the this is the problem because the deep state has been helping china and and in my book i actually explain how they've been doing it and why they were doing it the deep state has been helping china because the deep state wants china to become the next global hegemon and and so they've they've been encouraging and making it possible for China to develop uh, a very large presence in space with fleets of anti gravity vehicles and and within the next ten years uh, at some point 
China would have amassed a sufficient number of these secret spacecraft that they could have launched this space Pearl Harbor. But, what, but what's happened with the Trump administration is that he was a surprise. The deep state didn't expect him to win the election. And so he has kind of like uh, accelerated things because uh, the deep state wasn't ready. China wasn't ready. And, and now Trump is fully behind a space force. And, and that's, and that's really important if you want to pre- prevent a country like China launching a space Pearl Harbor because it considers uh, the U.S.'s Achilles heel to be space. First of all, congratulations. I didn't know that you had written a new book. Otherwise, I would have read it yesterday. But that's okay. It's Rise of the Red Dragon, Origins and Threat of China's Secret Space Program, Secret Space. Great information. For example, that one of the premises of your book, how did China undergo its meteoric rise from a technological backwater into a military superpower in outer space? And this is a question that I've had for a long time because you see, not their space vehicles, but you see some of their military aircraft, and you see the similarities to ours. And it makes you wonder if somebody within our government, and there's no doubt in my mind that they've had spies here within our own deep inside our government who has been passing some of our most deepest confidential secrets to them. Do you think we have been giving China the robe which will will hang in the future? Yes, that's definitely been what's been happening. Um, we, we know that uh, a number of uh, government scientists were very upset uh, by by what the, what the Chinese were allowed to get access to. Uh, Dr. Boyd Bushman, who I'm sure you you know about and sure. talked about to your audience, I mean, he was a, a senior uh, engineer for Lockheed Martin's uh, Skunk Works. I think he has you know twenty something patents that he's developed. But but he was saying he was very upset because he said that uh, that the authorities were allowing Chinese scientists access to Area 51 and to see the most advanced uh, technologies that the U.S. had its in, uh, had in its arsenal, and and the Chinese uh, were given access to the flying saucer technologies that were being housed. And I think that this was this was done uh, by the deep state to share some of this technology with China and people within the U.S. national security complex were hoping that by giving the Chinese access to these technologies that uh, the Chinese would reciprocate and allow American scientists to get access to some of their ancient pyramids and to uh, some of their remote facilities in the Gobi Desert, in, in Tibet, uh, where there are these uh, stored advanced technologies that come from earlier civilizations. Uh, so, but I think what happened was that the Chinese uh, didn't didn't give the U.S. access, but they took with them all of the plans, all of the information they needed to build their own uh, secret space program, and and that's and that's what they've been doing and. Very recently, there was a lieutenant general from the U.S. Air Force, uh, Stephen Quast, and and he retired in September of 2019 from the Air Force. And in the next month, he began giving speeches. And one of the speeches that he gave uh, was very explicit, saying that China 
is developing space uh, space cruisers and space destroyers, and that China's space navy is uh, is well on its way. And he was doing this to kind of like give a warning that people within the uh, military know how far China have gone in developing a secret space program and how well funded it is and how powerful it is becoming. And if nothing was going to be done soon, um, the, the, that the Chinese would be able to bridge the gap with the uh, different space programs of the U.S. military and would eventually surge ahead, just as they've done with uh, conventional Navy. A lot of people don't, don't know this, but China's conventional Navy, it's called the People's Liberation Army Navy, now has more surface warships than the U.S. Navy. China's Navy has 350 uh, surface warships and submarines, and the U.S. Navy has, uh, I think it's 288. Uh, and, and so, and that's because China's shipyards is like, they're able, somewhere between three to five times more efficient than, um, than naval shipyards in the United States. So they can build ships, even large ships like aircraft carriers, three to five times quicker. So rather than taking five years, uh, say to build a Ford class nuclear, uh, uh, nuclear aircraft carrier, the, the Chinese would be able to build a similar one in a year, but that requires them to have the blueprints and, and they, and they have the blueprints for all the U.S. Navy's ships. So this, they're, they're being doing the same in space. So Stephen Quast, the general, was warning about this. Even recently, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, said to his own people, apparently because of what's been happening with the United States, because as you know, China by the year 2030, even before, even before, I, I will presume, I studied that in the 1990s, that by the year 2020-some, they would have taken over the United States economically, but it could also be militarily. And Xi Jinping told his people recently, start getting in your mind that we are getting into war with the United States. This is something that I've been saying for a while. Everybody is looking at Russia, 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 when China is the one. Since the, the trade war started, China has been suffering. Now we have COVID-19. Do you think after if and when COVID-19 dissipates somewhat, that the escalation of the war rhetoric might increase? Right. Well, I think the, the pandemic, uh, you know, its main goal was to sabotage the Trump administration and to ensure that he wouldn't win re-election. So right. I think come November 4th, I think we're going to see uh, the major media in the United States, you know, drop the COVID, COVID, COVID agenda and start talking about something else. And uh, the, China is absolutely getting ready for the next war. They know America is the adversary. Uh, China is very good at playing uh, the you know, poor developing nation with, you know, over 450 million uh, starving people in the rural areas and China needs to be given kind of like, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of support and um, and kind of like not be expected to oblige to like World Trade Organization uh, treaty kind of like obligations that, but in fact, China has 
been putting enormous resources into its military. And you look at some graphs, like in my book, and you might be able to do a quick uh, Google search, but there's a graph by the uh, by the Stockholm International Peace and Research Institute, uh, which shows the uh, the amount of military expenditures of China and the United States measured in purchasing power parity, which is a much more accurate measure of how big an economy is. And it shows that China will, within the next few years, uh, exceed the value of the Pentagon budget. It, the China's budget is military budget is, has grown so quickly that it is about to exceed the Pentagon budget. But unlike the Pentagon, which has this full spectrum dominance approach, China has an approach called Assassin's Mace, where it recognizes that because China is the uh, aspiring hegemon, that you cannot hope to compete against the dominant hegemon, which is the United States, on, on its terms. So you, so China cannot compete with the United States on its terms in terms of the full spectrum of military resources, you know, aircraft carriers, ballistic missiles, submarines, uh, fighter squadrons and so forth. But if you identify uh, the strategic weak link in the enemy's arsenal and you develop to take advantage of that, then you can defeat the opponent. And the Chinese have dev- have understood that America's weak link is space, that the, that the Pentagon has not been spending nearly enough on space, uh, space defense and space resources, as, as opposed to, you know, doing things like building, you know, replacements for aging ballistic missiles, which will never be used, or you know, these nuclear-powered submarines that are also carrying ballistic missiles, which will never be used, that, in fact, space is the new strategic high ground. Uh, the, whoever controls the uh, the satellite system uh, that feeds information to planet Earth is going to be controlling the ears and the eyes of the planet. So the Chinese recognize that you, you, you don't have to deal with all the aircraft carriers, all the submarines, all of the nuclear bomber forces that the United States has, all you have to do is just knock out uh, the U.S. satellite grid and the U.S. is the U.S. military is deaf and blind. They won't be able to do a thing. And then you control uh, the planet and you then you start turning on uh, your, or then you make your Chinese satellites the, the new hub for global communications. And that's how you become the dominant hegemon. Especially if China believes everything we've been saying for the past few decades that we lost going um, regarding the moon, that we lost the telemetry, we lost the technology. It's too expensive to replicate it. All these lies and lies, because if anything has to be commercialized, it would be the moon. I mean, when you had the Wright brothers flying, it was just a, a couple of years later we were already in World War One with planes, and everything that is discovered is commercialized. But the moon is the one thing, the one aspect, one geographical location that we have never done. I mean, if you and I were CEOs of a big company, wouldn't you and I say, "Let's just launch a rocket to the moon and have a camera pointing at Earth, and we put commercials for our companies 
Why hasn't that been done? So when China sees all these things, they think either they're hiding it or they're weak in space. For example, right now I hear Nokia and NASA are partnering to put 4G antennas on the moon. Have you heard that? And why would it be a Finnish company and not an American company? Uh, yes, that's interesting. I, I, I didn't know about that, uh, but that makes sense because this is all part of the uh, the, the Artemis project, this idea to return uh, the U.S. to the moon and partner with uh, corporations and with uh, like-minded allied nations in developing the moon and what's called the cislunar uh, region, which is the area between the moon and the earth for your kind of like commercial resources. So you know, establishing uh, a base on the moon where you could use that to uh, send 5G communications or to conduct whatever whatever uh, whatever that goal of that alliance between Nokia and NASA is, you know, that, that would make sense. So uh, I think that the, the big reason why we're returning to the moon now as opposed to uh, the 1970s with with NASA was that I, I think the goal, what the, the Apollo program was a cover for another program called the Nova program. And, and, and there actually was a television series called Nova where they talked about the development of these huge satellites, uh, of these huge rocket ships. And, and there were uh, rockets being developed that were much more powerful than the Saturn V that launched the Apollo uh, missions to the moon. They were being developed. And, and the goal was to build military bases on the moon. And I think what happened was that uh, the deep state, the extraterrestrials on the moon, uh, they said, no, you cannot do this. And so they put us, they put an end to it and said, you know, after Apollo 17, that's it. Take your rocks back and that's all you're going to have. Don't come back again. Well, now we, we have, I mean, it's over 40 years later. Uh, we have a new environment. It's not so much now. Uh, about you know placing military bases on the moon it's it's more about developing economic infrastructure and to kind of like peacefully develop the moon so i think we've kind of like reached another point and the artemis program is is designed to kind of like have these uh commercial ventures between nasa and uh corporations for the kind of peaceful uh exploration and economic uh, development of the moon. I remember watching Nova. It's a program by PBS since 1974, and it's still in existence, I believe, but it's created by our own government. How do we know that what they tell us there and the scientists, quote-unquote scientists, uh, call them gatekeepers, how do we know that what they're telling us is the truth? Well, the, the Nova program did actually exist. I mean, it, it, it was uh, something that was being developed by major corporations and designs were made. Uh, for for it, and but this was supposed to be part of a uh, a navy military space program to develop bases on the moon. So that came to an end. But but the Nova rocket itself was was very real, and it was it had been designed. And I, I think this is just another example of of how when it comes to space, uh, you know, we we have kind of like NASA presenting information to us, and it's kind of like a 
a public relations exercise, kind of like how we began, you know, the magician says, look over here, this is what, what I want you to pay attention to, but what in fact you know, the real program is something else. And so now in our present environment, uh, the, the Artemis program is, is very important uh, because this is where there's going to be a lot happening in space, but it's not going to happen just through the United States. It's going to happen uh, involving the United States and its uh, major allies and corporations. I don't mean to deviate from what we're discussing, but just, I just want to pick your brain on this. You probably know what the Project Horizon was, a 1959 project that basically had the Army plan, you know, a permanently manned lunar outpost with a dozen residents that would be powered by nuclear reactors armed with nuclear weapons. That was the basically what it was, have nuclear weapons on the moon, but they scratched that project because it was too expensive, and we had the advent of the nuclear submarine that could launch nuclear weapons in secrecy. What's your take on that Project Horizon, and do you think something else came about it, and maybe we have something up there that we're not aware of? Well, Project Horizon, the first time I heard about it, probably the same as you, was uh, from Philip Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, where he was calling attention to it. And I always was puzzled by that. Like, why, why did he include that material in his book, you know, if it was an abandoned uh, army proposal? And now, you know, with the experience of hindsight, uh, I, I can say that he was really kind of like giving a wink to the fact that uh, Project Horizon did go ahead. Some form of it did go ahead. Um, it was done covertly. And whatever they built up there on the moon, uh, that was something that uh, was part of the reason why we were forbidden to go back to the moon. Now, you know, this takes us to the Peter Beter material, Dr. Peter Beter. Um, in the late 1970s, like uh, early 80s, he came out with these audio tapes and he talked about something called Project Harvest Moon, where he said that there was a race uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union to develop uh, directed energy weapons and to develop a moon base because they understood that whoever could develop a moon base and equip it with directed energy weapons would be able to control planet Earth. Um, and, and that would be kind of like game over. And so there was a race. And apparently, according to uh, Dr. Peter, uh, the Americans were able to establish a military base on the moon, uh, but the Russians won the race to develop directed energy weapons that could travel the distance between the Earth and the moon. And so the, the, the Soviets used the directed energy weapons to destroy uh, the, the military base that was built up there, um, and, and that this... Uh, this uh, Battle of Harvest Moon happened in 1977. It's fascinating material. I, I think there's some truth to it. I, I've been trying to confirm it myself. Uh, they're, they're, you know, in the WikiLeaks cables, there was a reference to this Harvest Moon battle, uh, but it's very difficult to, to substantiate that. But, but it all makes sense that there was this race between the Soviets and the Americans in, in terms of developing directed energy weapons and, and placing a military base on the moon. 
and that it came to a head. And as a result of that, um, you, know, they're, they're, you know, we stopped going back to the moon. I don't know why the concept of the Death Star comes to mind. If we had built that, had a directed energy weapon up there that could threaten any country at any time. But just to, to get the answer for, for what I wanted to know, why 4G and not 5G or 6G? Uh, why not an American company if we were allegedly the first ones that landed on the moon? Well, yes. Um, I, I, as far as I can tell, uh, the difference between 4G and 5G is that uh, 4G is um, uh, kind of more robust in terms of um, being able to – goes travel. farther. Yes. It, it can travel – Farther, it, it's not as interrupted. It can't be interrupted by as many particles uh, as opposed to 5G, uh, where you, you you can have a lot of kind of particles in the atmosphere and so forth. Right. Uh, oxygen uh, is is something that can inhibit uh, 5G transmissions. So that might be the reason why it's a 4G that they're planning to do. But, uh, yeah, that's my guess. No, no, you are absolutely right. I just forgot that, that 4G goes farther and 5G has to be, you have to have so many antennas right next to each other and it doesn't go through certain, you know, even trees are being cut around the world. And some people say, Michael, you probably have heard about this conspiracy that maybe the pandemic was done as a way to, release or deploy all these vehicles to go out there and install 5Gs on streets, government buildings, schools, so that people wouldn't protest. Your take on that? Well, you know, we have to understand that it is actually a fact that Wuhan, China, was chosen as the pilot city yep. for the rollout of 5G. And so they began planning that in uh, early uh, 2019. And, and it was ready uh, for the World Military Games that were held in Wuhan, China. I believe it was in October of uh, 2019. And that soon after that, you have the uh, emergence of the uh, COVID-19. Now, one of the things that in doing kind of this research uh, into it, the potential connection between 5G and uh, a, a virus like COVID-19 is that there's uh, a process called uh, electroporation, which is where if cells are bombarded uh, with a particular frequency, uh, then you can introduce viruses elect elect uh, through electronic measures. And, and so it would make sense that 5G could be used as a way of enhancing or making more powerful um, a virus like COVID-19 and, and making it so that uh, people's immune system is weakened because uh, the 5G is being transmitted at them at particular frequencies, making their body more susceptible. And depending on what frequencies you, ch you, you choose, you could turn it up or turn it down um, and, and that Wuhan, China was, was chosen as the pilot city because they wanted to see how they could kind of dial this, uh, you know, this, uh, 5G COVID-19 kind of like, um, combination up or down to increase or to decrease 
the number of people getting sick and the number dying and then to kind of like use that around the world and you know and I, I think it's no accident that right now in the United States what less than a week before the election you you have um, like what is it a second or a third wave yeah, spike it's like what are the chances of that no no this is a deep state pandemic and allegedly and we'll take a break in a moment and allegedly one of the effects of 5g is the depletion of oxygen by preventing red blood cells from being absorbed by your hemoglobin and it makes you wonder if that's why some people were fainting and, and falling on the streets in china although some people say that those images were chinese propaganda who knows michael i want to continue discussing the book and some other items i Again, I wish I would have read the book because it looks fascinating. And China and, and what they're trying to do in the future is something that I'm very interested in. How can people buy the new book, all your other books, and your websites? Right. You can just, uh, people can just go to my website, exopolitics.org. And at the top there, I, I have uh, books. And you can find out all about uh, my different books. You can get, They're all available on Amazon. And so Amazon's the other place. Uh, to find out about them. Great. The new book is titled Rise of the Red Dragon Origins and Threat of China's Secret Space Program. More when we return with Dr. Michael Sala. This is Mel Hoslerick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs> 